0: The world was, to me, a secret, which I desired to discover. To her it was a vacancy, which she sought to people with imaginations of her own. Over 200 years after its initial publication, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein continues to capture our imaginations, spawning endless adaptations and serving as a crucial inspiration for countless other stories. But what is it about the story that speaks to us so powerfully, and what does it mean to us today? Currently resurrecting Shelley's story for a new generation of viewers is Patricia Beneke, director of our co-production of Frankenstein, currently playing on the Belgrade Theatre's B2 stage. As the show draws to a close in Coventry before heading off on a wider UK tour, Patricia joined me to tell me more about the monstrous story she's been helping to create. Hello Patricia. Hello there. So um, I'm going to start by asking you a question that I've asked everybody then. Do you remember your first encounter with Frankenstein story and whether it was the book or the film and what your kind of reaction to it was at the time? Okay.
1: I think it was the Boris Karloff image. I don't think I saw the film, but I saw an image. And that was, for me, that was the story of Frankenstein for a really long time.
0: <laughs> and so I guess for you then coming to this production has, has it been like interesting, has it surprised you the story at all?
1: When I reread the book, I enjoyed it very much and I was surprised how how much you can read into it. What an open context it actually is, so that it's not necessarily about a mad scientist creating a monster, but that there's all sorts of social context in there which Mary Shelley put in. Um so that, that was a really interesting surprise.
0: And um, you mentioned the kind of perception of Victor as this sort of mad scientist sort of character. Um, We were talking a little bit earlier about how this feels like quite a youthful production. That seems to be quite a focus of it. So Mm -hmm. in this version, you're kind of, you've gone for a completely new actor. It's his first professional role Mm -hmm. playing the part of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about those decisions?
1: Yes. It started with Rona Munro, our writer, saying, well, do you realise how young Mary was when she wrote it? And actually, if you think that Victor in the book is going to university, so it's still really young. I mean, probably roughly Ben's age, you know, <laughs> if not a bit younger. Um, so we decided that we wanted... Mary and Victor and Elizabeth to be as young as they are and to have that youthful feel about it because there's a lot of youthful energy in the book really. So, so that's how that came about.
0: Tell me a little bit about how this project started. So did Rona kind of come to you with a ready-made script or was it something, was it an idea that you kind of shaped together in the first instance?
1: Mm. So we met because someone introduced us and said, we think you might be working well together. And we immediately clicked, which was just great. And then thought, well, you know, how do we want to tell this story? And uh, Rona had the idea um, of putting Mary Shelley center stage, which is, she said, you know, I want to do something nobody else has done because there's so many versions and it feels like there's a lot of angles that already exist on it. But she said, I would be really interested in doing that. So that was her idea and it developed from there and so there were several drafts which I had input, you know, several people had input in but um, I felt very much involved and that was brilliant and I think this final rehearsal draft is just so brilliant and we're all, you know, we're testing it now and are going, yeah, this works, this works, it's really nice.
0: With having kind of Mary centre stage in that way, it's almost like there's kind of two stories happening at the same time. So there's Victor creating the monster, but there's also Mary creating the story. So how have you found kind of making that work dramatically, having these two narratives coming together?
1: I think it's just a real bonus to have those two stories in one in a way because we have the energy of the story itself which is brilliant and then we have Mary you know interjecting interfering changing things so there's always this burst of energy when Mary kind of goes hang on you know we need to do this differently or uh I need to think of something now and it's just I think really really great for for catching her sort of how do I put this there's this real determination of our character, Mary, to make the story happen. And there, you know, sometimes, sometimes she struggles, sometimes she goes, this is exactly it. So she gets a boost from an idea she's had. And so I think the energies support each other rather than cancelling each other out.
0: I love that you pick up on that determination of her character because uh, one of the things we were saying earlier as well, which I think is really interesting, is how traditionally I think Mary's tended to be more aligned with the monster. You know, she's seen as somebody who's kind of oppressed and sort of struggling in the way that the monster is. But actually in this production, there's an extent to which she's actually more aligned with Victor at times, and so was that something that you deliberately kind of wanted to bring out, that connection between them?
1: I think what Rona has given us is that at first Mary does feel closer to Victor, and there's a moment where she realises the actual Mary Shelley had a dream, had a nightmare, where something that looked monstrous appeared to her, and so she used that as as the beginning of the story. And in our play. She acknowledges that, isn't sure when she's ready to look at it, but there's a moment where she goes, yes, you know, this is something that came from my subconscious. I, I have to face it. I need to find out more about it. And that's when she accepts, I think, that the monstrous is, is part of her imagination and stands for a lot of things that are important to her. What I think is, is really important in our version is that she is Quite the opposite of oppressed. She's a a very strong, determined young woman. And obviously the circumstances at the time, you kind of go, well, you know what I have liked to live in that time as a young woman. But she took so many bold choices and was quite revolutionary. And if you think today, you know, she would have been, you know, the equivalent of a punk. So it just did quite shocking things at the time and didn't seem to have a problem with it, which I think is just fantastic. So a really, really strong young female writer.
0: Um, I want to pick up on this kind of thing about the, because I think it's very much about the creative process, because we've got Victor and we've got Mary. Is that something that you kind of identify with as a creator as well, that kind of balance between the sort of mystery of it, but also this very methodical kind of putting something together?
1: Interesting question. I think the big difference is... That Mary you know puts a pen to paper and there's absolutely nothing you know she makes it up completely and utterly, whereas for us we tend to have a script, which is quite <laughs> reassuring so so you know you've got um you've got a route that you will travel, and obviously you' you're not sure how it will come out, and you know there's all sorts of factors involved uh which are unpredictable, but basically you tend to know the beginning and the end of your story, whereas she just kind of set out and went for it. And I think in an interesting way that's similar to Victor, he he's so obsessed with creating something and then when it's there He can't deal with it. And I think that was not the case for Mary. You know, she she wanted to write it and saw it through and uh, I hope was quite proud of what she did, because it was just this massive bestseller.
0: Hopefully not the case for this either. No, no, indeed. (laughs) Cool. Um, So I've talked with Becky and Rowan has kind of talked a bit in her interview as well about how this isn't a very monstrous monster. He's, you know, you're not going to see the big thing with the bolt through his neck and square head and everything. But at the same time, he still has to be scary enough to trouble people. So how are you creating that kind of sense of otherness in this production?
1: What we're trying to do is creating it by movement so that there's something about him where you're just never sure where he'll be and how quick he'll be. You know, just the, the feeling that he could around the corner and grab your neck at any time. There's also something beautiful that Johnny, our movement director, is doing with Michael at the moment, which makes him quite fluid movement, so that it feels that he can sort of, when he tries something, it doesn't work, he resets like it's, it's slightly alien, so slightly strange. And the other thing that Rona said, which I think is so interesting, she says, it would be brilliant if you could look at it and think, well, it has potential to be beautiful, but the reaction, how people see it, how they respond to it, makes it monstrous. Rona really felt that it made sense, and that's how it seems to work out in rehearsals as well, rather beautifully. There's something about the monster which reminds us of the poor, of the oppressed, of people that privileged parts of society like to not look at it and go, oh that's horrible, I don't want to see that. So there is a political undertow, which which is very much in Mary's book, which I hope we're bringing out ever so subtly.
0: Let's talk a little bit as well about the creation of the monster, because that's always going to be a very difficult thing to do on stage. And I think, again, Rona was talking about something perhaps a little bit more suggestive and not necessarily bits being stitched together in the same way. So how are you kind mm-hmm. of portraying that, I suppose?
1: I think there's, there's an amount of abstraction is one thing. So we're not building a naturalistic lab. We're using quite beautiful sort of, they're not umbilical cords, but they're kind of, they, they're cords which go from A to B and sort of connect to the monster and there's light running through them. So we hope that, you know, with a pulse, it can, it can just feel like a really, like a birth of weird proportions. There's the support of the ensemble there. So it's it's more than just a single actor sort of going, well, here I am. So there's, it's it's quite a, an epic moment, I think. It
0: looks fab, yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, Another thing that's probably not the easiest thing to bring to the stage from the book is the fact that the landscape is so important to it and it's so specific about these locations. And it is locations plural as well. So mm, how absolutely. are you kind of... <laughs> bringing that into it and how are you finding it moving between the different places?
1: Our designer Becky Minto has done a phenomenal job at giving us an indoor space, a library, so you know a place of words, but there are bits missing in that indoor space and that's where you see ice coming in, you see trees coming in so it's uh, it's a hybrid space and depending on where you uh, focus on with light and you know where the actors are it can very much feel like an indoor space but it can also feel like you're on Mont Blanc or by Lake Geneva so I think that's gonna work really well. It also helps us with the quick transitions because it's not you know a long scene in uh, place A and then a big shift and lots of props moving and then we're in uh, location B but it's instantaneous almost you know People turn out of one scene into another and it's got a really nice flow to it at the moment. And I think Becky's Space really helps us with that as well.
0: Two hundred years after the story was first published, well more than that now. What is it about this story do you think that keeps people coming back to it?
1: What is it about that story? <laughs> <Heather>? <laughs> it's such a good question, isn't it? It just I think there is a lot you can take from it. I think different aspects of it have come out over time for different people. And so I think the story will always be interesting to people because there's this transgression you know, of creating something that then you don't know what to do with, you don't look after. It's got all sorts of implications for us today. But I think it's it's a very human story in that.
0: As you say, it's meant a lot of different things to different people over the years. So what's it mean to you? What's your kind of main takeaway from it?
1: I think that's this really fascinating energy that Victor Frankenstein has, this, this obsession with having to finish what he thinks is going to be amazing. You know, I think he he thinks he'll get the Nobel Prize for what he's doing. <laughs> so this absolute determination and tunnel vision and then when it doesn't work, completely steps away from it. Does, you know, just kind of runs from it. And what comes into that then when when we first see the monster is that the discrepancy between how Victor has lived and how the monster has lived is so huge that again he can't take responsibility.
0: Thanks to Patricia for joining me for this week's episode of our Belgrade Theatre podcast. Frankenstein shows at the Belgrade Theatre until Saturday the 12th of October. Tickets are already selling fast, but there are still a few available for all performances. Best availability remaining is for the Saturday matinee at 2.30pm. For more information and to book, please visit www.belgrade.co.uk.